This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Road Studios in the crap part of Soho, back in my loft in Los Angeles, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, it's a great day to be alive, David. Is it? It is. It's, um, it sounds so unlike you. What's going on? These are the days of our lives. Uh-huh. Leicester City, a top, top, toppity top of the table. I know. Will Ferrell was on the TV show Monday. No, we dreamt that. That couldn't possibly have happened. Romelu Lukaku jumped on a pod special with me Tuesday. Oh. And to complete the trifecta, Coldplay humiliated themselves before the <laughs> whole world on Sunday. Life really couldn't be any better, mate. I don't know that they humiliated themselves, Rog. I didn't realise that Coldplay were right down there with Phil Collins in your uh, musical estimation. Oh, it's the most English thing I've ever seen. Honestly, Chris Martin, who, if you're listening, crouching is not dancing. Just want to make that clear. I don't, <laughs> don't even understand how this happens in an era in which star bands, entities like Coldplay are managed by a cast of thousands. The NFL signed up Coldplay, Davo. I'm yeah. guessing then suddenly realised closer to the date that they had no African-American representation. They just signed the whitest band in musical history. So they just yanked in Beyonce and Bruno and buried Coldplay alive. Is that how this stuff goes down? Yeah, that is sort of overshadowing your main act. It's very tough. I mean, Beyonce is, you know, basically all the way. She's, she's more than halfway there to world domination at this point. And Bruno Mars is an electric performer. It was very, very tough. Coldplay are not that kind of a band. Rod, Chris Martin is not that kind of a performer. Oh, it was like it was like suddenly having Andy Carroll and Riyad Mahrez on stage with you. You're just being. I've got a feeling Coldplay were totally confused. I've got a feeling that utterly lackluster performance made me think, God bless them. They thought that they'd been booked for the Europa League final. I mean, they were just dominated. They were obliterated. I thought it was fantastic. By the way, Rod, who is the Premier League equivalent of Chris Martin and Coldplay? It's got to be Milner. <laughs> Yeah, with, yeah with, you're right. Milner's really good. With, he, with, he, with Hendo on drums. But he's going to get overshadowed by any of the more exciting players playing around. <laughs> oh, we should say about Will Ferrell, what, mm-hmm. a, what a mensch he was. A lovely guy. What a mensch. He told us a very funny story, a, a great testament, a warning almost, when you read about celebrity soccer fans. Because Drake told us the same thing about how you become a fan of a club. You go to a game, the team reps ask you if you're cold. You say yeah. yes, and suddenly they drape you in a warm-up coat or a jersey of the team. <laughs> <laughs> Tabloid photographers shoot away, and suddenly you're a Chelsea yeah, you're fan. you're a big David. fan of that team. That's how he became a Chelsea fan. <laughs> That's how life happens. Super Bowl, Super Bowl, Dave, I've got to ask you. A couple of quick thoughts. I'm Sometimes not... football's crap, Roger. Yeah. Sometimes football is crap. Yeah, it was. It was a bit. It was a bit. It was the, the Mayweather-Pacquiao of Super Bowls. Yeah. I mean, Peyton Manning got all the glory. But it was more like a lifetime achievement Oscar. He had the Abbey Wombat 2015 World Cup final of Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. And poor Cam Newton, I feel for that bloke. Yeah. Well, he's very famous now, Rog. He is. Um, he'll be back there. Yeah, he will be. I, I've got a feeling only 1998 World Cup final Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, knows how Cam Newton feels right now. And it's important to remember, Ronaldo came right back in 2002. Made sure his team won the whole thing. So, haters, you've got to brace yourself. My MVP, Davo, only yeah. one in my mind. And it wasn't Jeff Goldblum, who had a very good game. It Ooh. was Wade Phillips. He looks just how I imagine St. Peter will look when I get to the pearly gates. Oh, it's very confident that you're going up, Rog. I imagine him on the... On the oh, he's probably going to send me right back down, mate. I know, it's likely. Every time they showed him, I lit red, and he just kept saying, I have the keys to heaven. Are you fit to enter? I have the keys to heaven. I love the... Pre- the actual MVP, though, Rog, was Von Miller. Who you met? Von Miller, when... It was one of the times you got trapped in Britain because the snow was too wet. It was the wrong kind of snow. It was raining, and I was a day late to the Super Bowl last year. I interviewed Von Miller, and Von Miller just made a sort of a beeline to go and be interviewed about soccer because he's so passionate about it. His favorite team, Barcelona, his favorite player, Messi, but he could name every player in Barcelona's starting lineup and sort of half the players who played for Barcelona B. But the only way he knew them, I said, oh, do you watch them on TV? Do you watch them on BN Sport? He's never even seen them play on television, let alone live. 
he's only ever played them on FIFA. <laughs> I love it. That is more common than you could ever imagine. You know what I love most about the game, David? What? I want to talk to you about this as a television man. Mm-hmm. I love the pre-game. What, the seven and a half hour pre-game? <laughs> uh, it felt longer. Yeah. It, what astonishes me is the extent to which the NFL brilliantly wraps itself into the American fabric, the DNA, it burrows itself into the DNA of this country. I mean, the imagery before kickoff, they did a video that was narrated by Joe Namath and, and Brett Favre. A complicated men both, let's just say that. And they, they, they had their heads float above Quincy Hall, the Washington Monument, the St. Louis Arch. Just watching it made me want to put down my Guinness and start running for president. But it got me thinking about the Premier League, David, and how it markets itself, especially in the light of the new Premier League logo, which really doesn't say anything. It's almost deliberately neutral. It's not a red, white, and blue like the Union Jack. The league doesn't wrap itself in the sights of England. They don't pregame with John Terry's disembodied head floating over Buckingham Palace, Harry Kane over the Churchill War Rooms, or Jamie Vardy's face hovering over Stonehenge. I mean, the Premier League, it's almost a blank canvas. It is a blank canvas, Rod. I mean, it could learn a lot from the NFL. But I, think, I was thinking about that it could learn a lot, but I think it's almost a purposeful blank canvas because the Premier League is the English Premier League, but it markets itself to the world. And its brilliance, different to the NFL's, is that its fan base, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Liverpool uh, kind of ticket walkout crisis, its fan base is now in China, in India, in the United States, in Africa... The brilliance of the English Premier League is that it plays down its Englishness and lets the world project its desires on it. In many ways, it is a world league. Well, in that way, Rog, the Super Bowl plays down its footballness. A lot more people watch the Super Bowl than even watch the NFL at weekends. I mean, it is by far the biggest television event of the year. That's why they have Santana twanging his guitar in the interlude. (laughs) Yeah, everybody watches it because it's not really about sport. It's not really about football. And, of course, the Premier League does not have that big game. At the end of the season, Leicester, who obviously are going to win it, are not going to play against Arsenal or Man City or Tottenham in the Super Bowl of uh, English football. But if they did, perhaps that could be a Super Bowl-y kind of a game. Yeah, maybe Santana can hot-foot it down to Stamford Bridge on the last day of the season to see Leicester City get the trophy. Don't, never, it, never let it be said that the Premier League scriptwriters don't like an emotional finale. No, 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 they definitely do. I should note, Rod, the Super Bowl is only 50 years old. And as you know, 50, very, very young. Oh, it's so old, mate. No, it's very, very young. As, as you know, March 3rd, 1966, about to celebrate my 50th birthday, Rod. Just very, very young, the Super Bowl. It's for kids. It's for the kids. Um, yes, the Premier League script writers, Rod. Oh, you were born just before Super Bowl I? Uh, just after, I think. You're, just after. You're a Super Bowl baby. I am a Super Bowl <laughs> baby. I'm a Super Bowl one baby. Rog, talking the Super Bowl and massive events. Yeah. But, you know, and Coldplay and Beyonce. And life and death. And life Which you're hinting death. about with your 50th birthday. And Bruno Mars. we got to mention because we haven't potted since the bar mitzvah. <sighs> the bar mitzvah. Can I just make, I want to say a few things. And then, of course, this is yours. This was your bar mitzvah. Number one, thank you for inviting me. It was beautiful. Thank you for being on the B list. The service, the service uh, in the temple and the party that night um, just was amazing. It was so good to meet your family. They are so lovely. I love your Liverpool supporting brother, Nige. Your sister, she's just like the nicest, warmest, prettiest, most lovely person. Your parents, Val and Ivor. Judge oh, Ivor. I was not prepared. I was prepared to meet a terrifying man. He is so sweet. He is so lovely. A very good dancer. Moves very nicely. And Val, Val is the kind of mother I always wanted. My whole <laughs> life, I wanted a mum like Valerie. Your whole family just how emotional it was, how sweet it was, your speech, which I think we should publish, Roger, the seven things you advised Samson to go forward with in his life, even though you told me afterwards there were actually only six. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just watching you and your family there, just such a lovely family. You love your kids so much. You love your wife so much. They all love you so much. But the biggest thing, Roger, which I have to reveal, Rog, you are a dancing fool. You are a dancing fool. You just—you had a smile on your face from the beginning of the day until the end of the night. 
you danced on that dance floor for about six and a half straight hours. And the look on your face, the pure joy with which you dance, you shout when you dance, your fingers are in the air when you dance, your hands are in the air with your dance. You've got some moves, Rog, and more than just that one where you slap your cheek and look around, which you've done a lot. Uh, it was just a joy to watch you having so much fun. And every time you try to tell me what a kind of dark, black poetry reading kind of a miserable old bastard you are, I'm going to always be thinking about that moment. You're a lovely man. In all truth, it was beautiful to have you in the uh, the old bosom. I was really thrilled with the hired actors that I brought in to play my, my dad and my brother. <laughs> They're amazing. You don't think I could trust them being around you for real? Too much risk of an information leak, Davey. Yeah, no, I've, been, I've met Nigel before. Unless you hired him again last year when I had dinner with him, it's the same Nigel. But I'll say, I, I, we did. We hammered in a milepost of life, not just to my son Samson's, but for all of us. One which I think will all mark the flow of time against in the way that I normally only do with epic Everton wins. Uh, giving a speech to 13-year-olds, David, my yeah. kid, a ton of 13-year-old kids in the room, it is an amazing opportunity. I, I was never a good listener as a kid, so I mean, it will not shock you. But so much of what I know about life was from listening to bar for dads address their kids. It was like those were the rare moments of honesty and candor in 1980s England. Maybe I'll put a couple of them in the Raven this week. I spent a lot of time trying to think about what I'd learned about life that I wish the 13-year-old me yeah. knew, knew at the time. And you're a beautiful man. I did dance, just like Roberto Martinez in the Jason <laughs> Derulo concert. No, no one could do better than Bobby M. It was beautiful. Oh, you dance much better than that, Rog. And I say that as the father of dancers. Uh, my little JJ came. She had a great time. She whipped. She, she did the wobble. She had a great time. Really, I'm, really I'm, o- I'm opening my can of Guinness. I'm lifting it up to you, Dave, and I'm saying to life, Okay, Rog, we got a packed show. We break down lion-hearted Leicester's comprehensive 3-1 victory over listless Manchester City. We relive the 1-1 mid-table draw between Jose Mourinho's once and future teams. Maybe, I don't know about that. Chelsea and Manchester United. And we marvel at a resolute Spurs side. Let me tell you that again, Rog. A resolute Spurs side going second in the table. Plus, the US men begin 2016 with two last-minute winners. And the World Cup USA. champion women kick off Olympic qualifying in Texas. Okay, to the football, Rog. 25 38 of the way through the Premier League season, and the scriptwriters appear unsatisfied with just a Jamie Vardy biopic. They want an entire Leicester City franchise. Be a good franchise, Rog. The biggest question of the weekend, Davey, is the top four now signed, sealed, and delivered. I mean, you look at the table. The gap has opened, you'd think so. But then again, as Robbie Earl would say, nothing can be certain in this season of cray-cray. Yeah, and the cray-cray kicked off on Saturday, Rog. Manchester City 1, Leicester City 3. A battle between the league's top two teams saw Claudio Ranieri's men march on Fortress Etihad and make City say uncle over and over and over Again, it started in the third minute with Robert Huth banking in Riyad Mahrez's free kick off Martin Di Michelis's right thigh. Mahrez added a second just after halftime, capping off a lightning-quick counter and going no-look to Joe Hart's near stick. It was that mountain of a man, Germany's Robert Huth, who made it three, sending a looping header past Joe Hart in the 60th minute. Sergio Aguero pulled one back to no avail. Leicester go five points clear, Rog, at the top of the table. City dropped a four. Not every bubble is doomed to burst, Davo. That's a lesson I took from the weekend. All season, we've been predicting Leicester's demise. Every dark run of games, we've said, we'll see now what they're made of. And this run, Stoke, Liverpool, Manchester City and Arsenal still forthcoming, was meant to cut them down to size. Leicester, I mean, they've just looked common wisdom in the eye. They've laughed while doing their own thing and destroying common wisdom with a calm, ruthless confidence and the cocksure surety born of the knowledge that in each of the last 11 seasons the team that was leading the league February the 1st went on to win the title this to me David this was the weekend when everyone began to believe in the might of the challenge the equivalent of Seabiscuit coming round the final bend they started so fearlessly well fearlessly I mean within three minutes uh, Mares gets that he just goes past Kolarov, gets Kolarov into the challenge. You know, a free kick in an area that you don't usually think is that dangerous. It's too close in. It's very hard to go and deliver 
a great ball into the box, but a fantastic ball in. Huth gets to it. A little bit of good fortune, but you need a bit of good fortune uh, to win away at Manchester City. And he knocks it in off Di Michelis' thigh, 1-0. I mean, it was staggering. Ranieri had said before the game, we feel no pressure. Manchester City have to win. We just have to play. Which sounded like words when he said them, but it was so true from the kickoff. Just a lack of self-awareness. The no evident doubt, the no sense of pressure whatsoever, just confident joy and self-belief. I don't know how that ball got in. I've watched it a hundred times. <laughs> it was like watching the Rebels just effortlessly get that one bomb into the centre of the Death Star with absolute yeah. ease. Uh, and Robert Hooth, so fascinating that he is the man, Dave, a Chelsea reject, whose career has really been falling in the downwards trajectory. Chelsea to Middlesbrough to Stoke City, who then loaned him originally to Leicester before they bought him. I mean, that is hardly the LinkedIn resume of a champion. No, I must say, I liked him at Chelsea, and I was surprised we let him go. But it's not like he ever sparkled anywhere else he went until this season. He's just been remarkable, Rog. Remarkable. He and Wes Morgan have been superlative. They are defenders of the old school type. They do something that not a lot of defenders do nowadays. They defend. Without, yeah. try, without trying to ball play in the John Stones Academy style. It's a throwback idea. But within the context of the Premier League, where every team tries to do the same thing, Leicester have zigged while everyone else sags. And at 1-0 down, City tried to exert themselves, but they almost just yeah. played into the Leicester game plan. Leicester were uncoiled to break, and twice Joe Hart had to be at his best to smother within the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. as Pellegrini looked on in anguish. My five-year-old, who's starting to get quite into football, just kept pointing out the screen and screaming, Great Grandpa looks so sad. Yeah, I mean, it is tough for Pellegrini. Obviously, all the build-up to the game was about Pep Guardiola uh, coming to uh, the Etihad in the summer. Everybody asking, what kind of a Man City team would we see? How would Pellegrini react to the whole thing? Um, I think we got our answer. Well, we'll talk about Pep's arrival in the Ravens, but the whole game began to resemble a band of samurai fighting a ninja clan who refused to play by their rules. I mean, samurai, they believe it's honourable to fight face-to-face. Ninjas specialise in ambush, espionage, sabotage and assassination. And Leicester, no team, attacks space with such ferocity in the Premier League They love space, Rog. They love it. They don't even want the ball. Their passing is terrible. They love a long ball. They They just want space. I mean, they live for moments of transition and charging into space. City never saw any of these punches coming. Teams never do against Leicester. Leicester ranked 18th in possession, 40.9% per game this season, 19th in passing. I think only West Brom have passed the ball less. This They don't want the ball. They don't want to pass. They just want to efficiently, ruthlessly exploit those moments of transition, and they slunk back into two banks of four. They dared City to come at them. Yaya Toure played like Goliath post-slingshot, still stung by David's impudence. David Silva tried to save crap. You had Huth and Wes Morgan like Twin Towers, David Robinson and Tim Duncan without any other polish. And then the second half began. How would you describe Mares's stunning strike? EA Sports FIFA goal. A goal that started in their own box with about three passes. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful counter-attacking football. But what was so nice about it is how much work Mara still had to do right at the end. And, um, but you just never doubt that he's going to put the shot on target and be on the goalkeeper. He's just, he is a remarkable footballer. So fun to watch. He is. I mean, the goal was more shocking than Ray Liotta's new face. I mean, the emotions I experienced... <laughs> It was like watching Ewoks win the Battle of Endor. It was a goal, ultimately, can only be described as everything about 2015-16 Leicester. I mean, Mares signed for $578,000 from Love. When he did, Leicester sent out the tweet with him holding his shirt saying, we welcome Riyad Mares to Leicester City. And even their own fans tweeted about this is all over Twitter now, tweeted, Riyad Mares, who the f*** is that? How are we not going to get relegated? Vardy and Mares, $2 million, 32 goals. The whole Manchester United squad, $578 million, 31 goals. Less, Liverpool's squad have scored less than those two men. And it's important, I believe, Dave, to take a second and say, what are we watching? We're watching Seabiscuit. We're watching unreal achievements about which ballads will be written for generations, but with our very own eyes, 
in the present. Karate Kid, amazing, as I said on the show, but not real. Home Alone, I've got news to you, America. That was not a documentary. But Leicester City, they are real. And what they are doing is astonishing. Also astonishing, the extent to which City rolled over. No reaction, no leaders. Vonton Company, nine minutes of football in the past three months. They just rolled over, David. Well, I mean, look, they... I think the penalty decision, they got a very legitimate penalty call in the first half. Um, there was some good fortune, as we said, to the first Leicester's goal. And I think they probably came out of the break thinking, OK, we're 1-0 down, we're going to get back into this game. But they, the Mares goal just like took the wind out of their cells and the third from Huth just like sent them over the edge. Yeah, I mean, Huth 3-0 letting out a primordial roar that made him for just one second look like Chewbacca if he'd had his back waxed. I mean... <laughs> I don't know how this happens. Why would Chewbacca only have his back waxed? That would be a strange choice. I don't know. That... He'd really do. He'd, he'd go in for the whole thing. You think? I think Wookiees have very sensitive nipples. By the way, talking about nipples, when that Hooth goal went in, I tweeted, if your nipples are not tingling, you are not alive. To which at footy from afar tweeted back, it's more than just the nipples, mate. This must be what it feels like to be Keith Richards on a permanent basis. I mean, this was a beatdown, Davo. Can we just say... No one statues after a goal better than Joe Hart. I love how when he's beaten, he just stays frozen like one of those guys who paint themselves silver and pose in Times Square for coins. Fair play to Joe Hart, though. 3-0, and he made at least three outstanding saves. This could have been 6 or 7-0 to Leicester City. The one thing I just want to make the point about Leicester is that whatever happens for the rest of the season, they have already achieved. It already has been a fairy tale. And what I get worried about is hearing all that, you know, the no team has been you know, on top at this point and has not gone on and won the Premier League. It just is, it's five points. There are still 13 games to go. A lot could still happen in the Premier League, but none of that diminishes Leicester's achievements so far this season. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, post-game, you realise Leicester had just won, not in snatch victory, but with a superlative, comprehensive arch dominance. And John Green asked, like it's Leicester, Leicester, they had 19 points after 29 games last season with essentially the same bloody lineup. How is this real? I mean, to be clear, before this season, Leicester were 5,000 to 1 to win the league. For point of reference, the USA had a better chance of winning the World Cup, according to the bookmakers. They were 100 to 1. Leicester are now 7 to 4 favourites to win. How great would the world feel if Leicester City won the Premier League? I've got to say, that would be the greatest victory for footballing populism. Donald Trumpian, Rog in terms of a victory for populism. Controversial, Davo. <laughs> I'd probably say it's more like feel the burn. All I'll say about Bernie Sanders, I have no doubt that Bernie Sanders would have walked out in the 77th minute at Anfield. But as a little boy, <laughs> <laughs> I dreamed of a season like this. I'd kick a balloon around my hallway while leading Everton in my imagination. At all odds, destroying United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Red Star, Belgrade, Marseille. But it's happening now, Davo. And I've been reading everything that's been written about Leicester in terms of what they do and how they've done it. Because even NPR now want to talk about this Leicester fairy tale. I've been trying to work out how to put it into terms that Americans can understand who don't know much about soccer, don't even care about the intricacies. How do you explain what Leicester have done and how they've achieved it? Well, Ranieri in the Italian press, Rog, gave an extraordinary interview. Very honest interview. In Corriere Corriere del Serra. Yeah, I love that paper. Is that one of the pink ones? I think it is. And um, he explained that basically what he came in, he stopped talking to the players about any tactics because they just couldn't handle it. He allowed them to eat and, it seems, drink anything they want. And thirdly, he gives them two days off a week where normally teams get one day off a week. He said, recovery is crucial. My lads train a lot, but not too often. This is the pact I made the first day. I trust you. I'll explain some football ideas to you every now and then, as long as you give me everything. This is Ranieri saying, Leicester City is what I've always sought. Half style of football and half awareness of an objective. None of us really think we're working for a living. Otherwise, we just get tired every day. If we live to work, then let us give meaning to what we do. I love this, Dave. I love the image of this dirty dozen ragtag of players all peaking at their careers at the same time. I love their style of play, the whip-smart counter-attack, the relaxed manager with something to prove. But not all of that amounts to what Leicester have achieved. No, not at all. I mean, beers on the coach on the plane is basically the coaching philosophy, it appears. 
at Leicester. But but if Leicester can do it, why not Everton? Why not Aston Villa? Why not Sunderland? Why not Norwich? It, it's taken the whole idea that only the big four, only the big five can win. And it's kind of shoved that down the toilet, Rog. Yeah, I mean, you look at Leicester's starting 11, $32 million. Man City paid $61 million just for Elia Kim Mangala. What you can't buy is spirit. City appeared in this game to have little. Leicester, a virtual monopoly. And that's how you do it, Davey. That is how you beat all comers, hold on to the lead at the top of the table in a Premier League that was meant to be economically predetermined to defy that. And most of all, to walk into the Etihad and pistol whip Manchester City into submission. To me, the only rational explanation is that we're watching a miracle. Like the Ark of the Covenant, the parting of the Red Sea, water turned into wine, walking on water. This is as astonishing as watching the Philadelphia 76ers sweep Golden State in the 2017 (laughs) NBA Finals. You heard it here. Can Can they do it, David? But you're right, like that spirit, it's easier to have that spirit when you're the underdog, where you are disrespected, where you don't have the money, where you're not rich, where you don't have that. And it feels that that is what is winning in the Premier League this season, is that kind of spirit over the money, over everything else. Can they do it? Yes, of course they can do it. And you've just seen the way that they demolished Manchester City, who the smart money uh, over the last two weeks has been saying, OK, Arsenal brittle, but Man City is starting to come good. They're going to go and put everybody else away. But you can see how Leicester are a better football team than Manchester City. There's no doubt about it. Holding it on, at some point they are going to feel the pressure. At some point they are going to have a wobble. It's how they react to that wobble that will determine who wins the Premier League this season. You know, I watched the 30 for 30 on the 1985 Bears this week, which reminded me that the challenge can often be within the squad. The infighting caused by sudden sponsorship and media opportunities, that's what did the Bears in, ultimately. I saw today the local paper, the Leicester Mercury's front page, proclaimed, Leicester City's title charge propels world interest in club to all-time high. 250,000 new follows on social media in the Mm. last two days. A 40% increase in jersey sales. They've had to hire barrages of new staff because they're suddenly in demand for stadium tours. Uh, In the medium term, the challenge will be to hold on to their players. Vardy, new contract, huge pay hike until 2019. The Leicester City scout who helped discover Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Kante has already got his own big transfer. Ben Rigglesworth is moving to Arsenal. But the good news is they've got 13 games to go. No FA Cup, no League Cup. Man City have those and Champions League football. They have a minimum of 17 games. They can play as many as 29. And this Leicester City team have gotten better as the season has progressed. Every player knows their task. All they need to do is keep doing what they've done. Don't think. Avoid their equivalent of Stevie G's slip in 2014. A moment of self-awareness where they look down and realise they're balanced on a high wire with the whole world looking. In short, Dave, as one team said, you've got to just keep pounding. OK, Rog, top of the table, too exhausting. Let's talk about the mid-table. Chelsea won, Man United won. After a back-and-forth first half, United drew first blood in the 61st minute. But Jesse Lingard thumping in, fantastic half-volley on the turn past Thibaut Courtois. Louis van Gaal's men then inexplicably proceeded to go into a shell as Chelsea laid siege to the United goal. And in the first minute of injury time, Diego Costa wriggled free from the defence, set up by Sesk, sidestepped David De Gea and slid home the equaliser. 1-1. Two significant transfer windows for these teams. I mean, the significance for United lay in the fact that the transfer window welcomed not a single new face, the most striking symbolic vote of no confidence in the Louis van Gaal regime. As rumours circulate of executive meetings with Jose Mourinho, most of those rumours seemingly propelled by Jose Mourinho, yeah, David. Exactly. A reaction to the escalating Pep Guardiola Man City arms race. I mean, Mourinho, it would be a deal with the devil, but a fantastic deal with the devil to watch, David. He seems to me to have the weight of the pundits and of people around the club and even the fans thinking that they want him to go and be there. He's not the first name you think of when you think of stable buccaneering football. But I do think it's a statement of how far Manchester United have fallen and perhaps the panic that has infiltrated the club that they are going to push that emergency button and bring him in. On the Chelsea side, out goes Ramirez to China, to Mm -hmm. Huangsu Suning, the team located in Huangsu province, home to the capital city of Nanking, as in Rape of Nanking, Nanking. I'm sure Ramirez is going to be very happy there. This team, 
that was semi-pro until 1994. He's one of a flurry of China League deals, ongoing potentially with Remy rumoured to be out today, along with Liverpool target Alex Teixeira and Jackson Martinez, which saw the Chinese transfer record broken three times in 10 days. Quick word on the Chinese League. Huge paychecks for talent in a league which needs heroes. Crowds averaging 22,000, which is quite respectable. They're looking for a hike. I mean, the effect of those deals in the short term will inflate the peak of the market for English Premier Leagues, make it harder for MLS to achieve their dream of being top five. And in other news, Men in Blazers is going to change its primary focus to the Chinese League. It's the future. Huanan Zhixiang! Happy Year of the Monkey listeners. And in for Chelsea comes Matt Miazga. Just when it looks like JT's going to leave us, Davo. Our first American, well, our first American-born player, Roy Wegley, played for Chelsea briefly. I think you could safely say you're first man of good value <laughs> and moral I standing. I don't think that's true. Juan Mata played for Chelsea, Rog, and did very, very well for us. And he was uh, there was a beautiful moment at the end of the game when he was substituted off. But the Matt Miazga arrival, amazing timing. American soccer needs a new outfield hero. You've got to talk about the JT new contract drama. You know, a year ago, we were talking about this the other day. Everybody would talk about, oh, my word, Chelsea, they do such good business off the field. They really know how to handle their club, but they really know how to handle their business. The way that they've dealt with their senior players, with Ashley Cole, with Lampard, with Drogba, with Czech, and now with John Terry, it is just, I have no idea what they're thinking. Um, John Terry, I think, has done a very, very smart thing. He decided to go public. And he's now putting some pressure on the club to go and address his contract. And frankly, he is still, whatever you think of the man, he is still, week in, week out, Chelsea's best defensive player and has been for seasons. It's the most fascinating thing. At the time when Chelsea must uncover the next generation of leaders, I agree. He's still their best defender without an American accent. When he came on the show, Davo, I think I cursed him. In July, I asked him how he'd like to leave. He said, for me, my dream is to be a one-club man, finish at the bridge. If Chelsea decides sooner, time's up, and they don't resign me, John Terry feels he's got another year or two years left, and I'll look to play elsewhere. I'll just say, as a rule of thumb, when they start talking about themselves in the third person, normally a sign that they're doomed. Um, I would say, though, for Miazga, though, I'd rather be learning. I'd rather that Miazga be learning the art of Premier League defending from John Terry than from Gary Cahill. <laughs> I think there's a major difference between that. I think it would be very good for the development of Miazga and specifically for the sort of central defender he is to be learning that art and some of the dark arts, frankly, footballing wise, uh, from JT. I think I'd be a better education. You, you go in and tug on the wedgie and pull straight up. It's all about the vertical leap, Matt. No, Don't I make the mistake of pulling out. The wedgie's all about verticals. <laughs> For the game itself, 5th versus 13th, this was mid-table fair. At Mam Corkle said, watching Chelsea versus Manchester United nowadays is like watching present-day Tyson fight Evander Holyfield. It was a shocking stat. First time in Premier League history, neither Chelsea nor United were in the top four this late in the season. It was also an odd game. At Rick Liebling said, with a win today, Chelsea players could have gotten Jose fired and hired in the same season, which is quite remarkable. The whole enterprise was like watching two old drunks have a fist fight outside the pub at closing time. And it really only, talking about paging Matt Miazga, changed after Kurt Zuma suffered a grotesque injury 10 minutes after the break, just when he was quietly working himself into fit-for-purpose form. I think that's a significant injury, not only for Chelsea. I think that's a significant injury for France uh, in the upcoming Euros. Zuma is a dominant aerial and covering defender. He's not very comfortable on the ball, shall we say, but he's just an amazing physical presence and emerging into a very, very good Premier League defender. And I think this is sad. John Obi Mikel, I blame him for this. He just made some awful clearance, knocked the ball up in the air. Um, Zuma made a very uncomfortable move towards it and hyperextended that knee. Awful, awful looking injury. I mean, United fans love few things more nowadays than to take to Twitter when they see Louis van Gaal's team sheet with Lingard and Fellaini's names on it and posting that photo of the rhinoceros spurting diarrhoea out of its rear end. Mm. All I'll say is rhinoceros diarrhoea be damned because yeah. Lingard, the one moment of great quality, the one moment of majestic finery, a nostalgic throwback moment to the days when United buccaneered routinely. Oh, beautiful, Davey. 
Beautiful goal. And look, for me, actually, Lingard has been one of the bright spots for United this season. Uh, he's been hovering around the edges of that uh, squad, edges of that team for a few seasons. Uh, this season, I think he's emerged somewhat. And uh, great goal, great finish, and nothing Courtois could do about it. They go 1-0 up. But then, you know, Chelsea, you just look at them. They're fragile. They're at home. They don't know what they're doing. Instead of pressing them, at that point, United just sat back. And Chelsea showed... For one of the first times this season, a little bit of backbone. They did. I mean, shot after shot started to rein in on David De Gea. Cesc Fabregas looking a bit revenant with that beard. <laughs> I mean, just battered one at him from close range. David De Gea, A, he's got more quality than the rest of the talent on both teams combined. He just unfurls stupendous save after stupendous save, but so blithely, his reaction is always that you watch the English keepers always pump the adrenaline's flowing. He looks like he's just decided to get out of bed and walk over to the table where there's some oh, coffee no. and pizza from the night before and he's picking it up. And he's just, he, is, <laughs> he is earth, wind and fire. He's, a, he's as if Stan Lee envisaged a goalkeeper with full-on spidey sense. I love that, man. Yeah, the save on Ivanovic also, Rog, that save was just outstanding. We are living through... There are. So, I was thinking about this yesterday. There are so many good goalkeepers right now in the Premier League. To some extent, uh, this has been the season of goalkeeping. It's the season of goalkeeping. You've got Butland... Check. Oh, we've got to throw Joe Hart in there. Yeah. And of course, Joe Robles. Memphis then trotted on for the last few minutes. United fans who say he doesn't create enough goals. Just look at the Chelsea goal, which began with an errant Memphis pass, allowing Chelsea to break. Borthwick Jackson, oh, Joanne Howard's doppelganger, and Blint buckled and Diego Costa swooped in with the angriest jazz hands of all time to finish. New Diego Costa, Rod, six goals in his last seven games uh, after only three uh, in the previous 744, it felt like. Yeah, uh, if evil always wins, a theological conundrum when United play Chelsea, it's like trying to picture space going on forever. At Mark Busquet tweeted, rooting for Chelsea to beat Manchester United is like rooting to have a fit of vomiting instead of the runs. I guess the 1-1 result was the right one. I, I do pity LVG after the game jousting with journalists who were baiting him like a confused, wounded bear. It's awful to watch an old man hanging on there, being humiliated week after week. Yeah, I could apply the same to Gus Hiddink, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Gus Hiddink barely seems to be awake during the, uh, during, during the Chelsea games. Uh, it is quite remarkable. Remarkable times, right? I mean, it's never a good look, though, talking about LVG for managers to spar verbally with tabloid reporters. It's shades of Nigel Pearson sign the end is coming particularly for Van Gaal when United they, they think that shocked me they could put an end to the doubts by announcing he'll be the manager till the end of the season leaving yeah. him and his dignity uh, intact but he's being degraded in a sordid spectacle that ultimately damages LVG's legacy and the club's brand in equal measure can we talk about some teams who could actually win it this season teams that matter yeah, Tottenham won, Watford nil, Spurs surge into second after seeing off the Hornets at White Hart Lane. Despite starting on the bench due to illness, Deli Alley still managed to add to his and one mixtape to a highlight reel after being introduced as a 61st-minute substitute. Alley slid a sumptuous outside of the boot, perfectly weighted ball to a streaking Kieran Trippier who knocked it in for his first Premier League goal, actually. Spurs just five points behind Leicester and I gotta say they look the most likely team to catch them oh, that goal was a Spurs gasm I mean Deli Alley was on the bench he complained of dizziness after the midweek game against Norwich but even without England's great next hope Spurs open with mechanical confidence working the ball around with movement intent and ease down the flanks Watford just struggle with their pace and ideas Watford keeper former Spurs acquired taste Herelio Gomez was like a rebounding fool, save after save, all while managing to maintain the kind of clownish Prince goalkeeping liability aura that he likes to project. Watford scrambled, they dived, they harried. But it was, it was a sumptuous moment, Dave, when Delhi came on, clapping himself as he trotted onto the field. And that move, Kane to Dembele to Deli Alley and the outside of the foot pass to old tattoo sleeves. Uh, the reason I think Tottenham's so good, Rog, by the way, is, yes, Deli Alley amazing. Harry Kane, amazing. Um, so many good players. But it's their defence, Rog. 19 goals conceded all season. 
Uh, they're the best defensive team in the Premier League. They've therefore got the best goal difference in the Premier League. That's what's going to make them a real title contender this season. Kike Sanchez-Flores said after the game, the performance of Spurs was amazing. They pressed like animals. Always my favourite Muppet. Impossible to play against. They were the best team in the Premier League. Arsenal fans beginning to wonder, St. Totteringham's day in crisis? Question mark. In recent years, Arsenal fans, they love to celebrate the day. It becomes mathematically impossible for Spurs to catch them. And not since 1995 have Tottenham finished a campaign higher than the Gunners, never in the Wenger era. I think most Arsenal fans I speak to feel the same level of astonishment about this Spurs side that the rest of the world experiences watching Leicester City, and they might just catch them. Watching Roger East referee this game, David, a question mm-hmm. formed yeah, in my one mind. One of your favourite Rogers. You like him. He's definitely top 40. Mm-hmm. Just below Roger Taylor, the drummer of Duran Duran. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about the old British tennis player. Why are there so many Premier League referees that are bald? Are they considered to be some kind of priestly class, the balds, David, like Spider in Game of Thrones? I don't understand. At James Piotr, P-I-O-T-R, the great kind of travelling football writer, tweeted back to us, it's all that sex pumping through their veins. It is. Do you go bald because you're a Premier League referee? Or do you become a Premier League referee because you're going bald? Will someone answer that to us? I would love to yeah. know. I would lo- At Haskins A thinks it's because balls are easily bought and trained by Premier League writers. OK, Bournemouth, nil, Arsenal, two, Rog. Arsene Wenger's men got their first league win since January the 2nd. Mesut Ozil latched onto an Olivier Giroud knockdown header in the 23rd minute to score the Gunners' first goal in four league games. It took the Ox just 88 seconds to add a second. Arsenal now in third. They trail Leicester by five points and Spurs only on goal difference, Rog. What could be more Arsenal than midweek Arsenal falling to fourth place on Groundhog Day after a lifeless draw against Southampton? At Mark Busquet tweeted, there are millions of people who want to see Arsenal win the league. None of them, however, appear to play for Arsenal. <laughs> I mean, they entered this game against Bournemouth, winless in their last four games, goalless in their last three. Arsenal fans' doomsday scenarios were going off full ping. And one of the headlines I saw in an Arsenal chat room is, will Leicester City winning the championship make our last 10 years look even worse? I mean, the narrative gods shaped this up to be a fantastic piece of theatre. Bournemouth... Their whole season given momentum by Arsenal reject Benikafobi, his three goals in three games since moving in from Wolves, but it was not to be. Ultimately, they need not have worried. This was a professional victory. Ramsey had one of his better games in midfield. A couple of moments of quality were all they needed to stroll to the three points. And you look at their games. I mean, Arsenal's remaining games, so many of them away at Tottenham, away at Man City, away at United, away at West Ham, away at Everton. Rog, uh, those seem to be the games that are going to determine and home against Leicester City, Rog, this weekend. This is what's going to determine the Premier League. In what was perhaps the best news for Arsenal fans this week, Coquelin is back. A huge upgrade as the title race, as you suggest, kicks into its most critical stretch. It's going to be fascinating to see how Arsenal sets up to play Leicester and their guile stuff counter-attack over the weekend. If I were Arsenal looking at the way Gabriel moves, when forwards are charging towards him would fill me with slight panic. But few fan bases, David, we always say this, tilt from doom towards <laughs> visions of grandeur quicker than Arsenal. But, I mean, fears of their demise hovered before kickoff, and by the final whistle, with the Leicester game looming next week, they're all title race back on. <laughs> I know, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, OK, Rod, talking of fans, Liverpool 2, Sunderland 2, a narrative more complex than any scoreline might suggest. In the 77th minute, with Liverpool up 2-0 behind Firmino and Adam Lallana goals, two Anfield fan groups staged a mass walkout over the impending increase of the highest level of ticket prices at Anfield to £77. That's in the newly rebuilt parts of the stadium. The final 13 minutes saw Liverpool capitulate twice to Adam Johnson and Jermaine Defoe, and all of this with Jurgen Klopp in hospital, where he had emergency appendix surgery. Poor bloke. I mean, it's Liverpool. They are just running out of bifters this season, perhaps for good reason. They played again last night against West Ham, knocked out in the FA Cup in cruel fashion. But with all their replays in the League Cup, the FA Cup, it's felt like this Liverpool squad have played almost every single night. They've played a more, more an MLB schedule than an EPL one. And their football has just suffered as a result. They dominated in this game, 82% possession in the first half. 
but manufacturing just one shot in the box, as they did so. In the second half, they turned things around with a couple of flashes of quality. At MF Cheem tweeted, win one for the Klopper. But then as threatened, Dave, a good 10,000 of them filed out of Anfield like a barricade scene from Les Miserables, chanting, enough is enough. You greedy bastards, enough is enough. A PR disaster for Fenway Sports Group. I mean, the cop, a symbol of local pride, festooned in black flags, banners crying, fans, not customers. And football without fans is nothing. With the atmosphere dented, the game just flicked. Sunderland free kick that Simon Mignolet dived towards with the contempt of a man who just signed a contract extension despite conceding in 12 of the last 19 shots aimed at him. And then Jermaine Defoe stunned all those who were left behind. A phenomenal 88th minute strike is six in six games. A spin and the strength to give Sacco and his bolt the Heisman while finishing smartly. The instant reaction was, what a collapse did the walkout cause it? But with Liverpool competing for nothing this season, I think it's kind of besides the point. Because what the protest is really about is more important ultimately. It's about the soul of the club. I think the thing that I find hard to understand about this, Roger, and I think a lot of American fans who pay a lot to go to sporting events, is why they're campaigning against the highest ticket prices, the £77, and not the lowest ones. I think it's all symbolic, David. I think the highest ticket price is just a symbol. It's a straw that broke the camel's back. And it's hard to understand from America. I mean, first of all, this is an era in which Premier League clubs are saving a $12.3 billion TV windfall. Liverpool are launching a new 8,500 capacity main stand at Anfield. And the thing that triggered this was that they seized the opportunity to drive up ticket prices because as a club, they're desperate to close the revenue gap between them and the big clubs like United, Arsenal and Chelsea, who've eaten Liverpool's lunch since the 1980s. When Liverpool were, and it may be hard for American listeners to believe, Liverpool were once the biggest club in world football, but they stayed pat, they didn't change and innovate when the Premier League was created. They didn't take advantage of global opportunities on offer. I mean, United have an official noodle partner. They have a official Chinese soft drinks producer. Wow. We've got, we've got an official noodle partner, Rog. Well, we're trying to close a deal with the United's <laughs> Japanese paint manufacturer, Kansai, the club's first paint partner. <laughs> Liverpool are trying to close that gap. And it's hard to understand from the US where a new stadium always has costs passed on. I mean, Giants fans, they're used to being forced to buy personal seat licenses when new stadia are built to retain their season ticket. And the world Stan Kroenke comes from, fans are used to being treated like crap as customers. Arsenal fans went through a similar experience when the Emirates was open, but Liverpool, this is key, Liverpool is not London. It's a proud working-class city. Its economic base is different to Manchester even, where United have managed to attract global brands, bring in a huge number of tourists in a way Liverpool are hoping to do. And even while Liverpool do have a passionate global support and their team have opened in an office in London to try and pull in London corporate box sales, at the court... Liverpool still have a local, passionate, generation-to-generational fan base. It's working class. It's proud. Football is everything. The same way as Green Bay Packers fans' lives revolve around their Packers. I think FSG have been stalled by the fan reaction, and they are going to have to act quickly before it spreads because there's talk of a lot of fans starting to join those protests. And it's been a tough season, it has to be said, for American-owned teams in the Premier League. Villa, Sunderland, Manchester United, now Liverpool a tangling mess. They should have really priced the tickets at £90, Davo, and then the walkout yeah, wouldn't have happened that, until nearer the final whistle. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, or 90 plus 5. That would probably be the best way to go and do it. One Liverpool note, Davo. Brendan Rodgers went on television and told the world he and Jurgen Klopp had a meeting. They asked him, where was it? At Anfield. And Brendan Rodgers says, no, it was at my house. Can you imagine <laughs> Jurgen Klopp just driving around to Brendan Rodgers' apartment? He also said that he'd been offered... Five or six Premier League jobs since he uh, left Liverpool. Yeah. I was trying to do the math on that and figure out uh, who'd offered him the well, job. He didn't say they were management jobs. I think two of those jobs were selling beer at West Brom or Sunderland, and one of them was in the club shop on Norwich City. It was just a part-time gig there. So that meeting of the two of them, I can imagine Brendan opening the door and just being far too chatty, overcompensating for the mix of self-loathing and hatred that was oozing out of his pores. Yeah. And imagine Jurgen Klopp just listening to nothing. Just seeing an open mouth, open, and, and letting his eyes scan Brendan's apartment, the abundance of pleather and lucite 
and Brendan Rogers portraits. And the pathetic, embarrassingly small bookshelf from IKEA stuff with James Patterson novels, a moosewood cookbook, and Who Moved My Cheese. <laughs> okay, Rog. Southampton won, West Ham nil. The Saints win their fourth game in the last five, keep their fifth straight clean sheet despite a 54th minute red card for Victor. Wanyama becoming a habit. The goal came in the ninth minute from Maya Yoshida. The Saints are up to seventh, only two points behind West Ham, who sits sixth. Unbeaten in five games for Southampton, much due to the return of Fraser Forster. Talk about the year of goalkeepers. His return after a shattering 10-month spell out has bolstered that back line. No goals in the last four games after a period of darkness for Southampton, which made some panic. Wanyama, fantastic feat. I mean assaulting Dimitri Payet. He became the first player since the hapless Wes Brown in 2014 to be sent off three times in the same campaign. OK, Newcastle won. West Brom nil. Rog, the Magpies peeked their head out of the drop zone courtesy of a 32nd-minute goal from level-headed Serbian Alexander Mitrovic and a strong <laughs> performance from debutant Andros Townsend. Tony Pulis' side, meanwhile, haven't won in five games. They're just six points clear of the drop. The goal, what a pass from John Joe Shelby. Yeah, it was beautiful. Newcastle, two assists in four appearances after two assists in 16 for Swansea. Life lesson, there are a few things that I love more than a happy John Joe. You've got to keep your John Joe happy, right, David? You do got to keep your John Joe uh, happy. Newcastle, Rog, out of the relegation zone uh, at last. And West Brom, I said this before on the pod, they are very much the worst team I've seen in the Premier League this season, even though that was from watching them draw with Chelsea. But uh, I won't be surprised to see them drop in there as well. OK, Aston Villa 2, Norwich nil. Signs of life in the Midlands. Goals from Jolion Lescott and Gabby Bonlahor, Rog, move Remy Guard's men eight points from safety. Norwich, meanwhile, continued to disintegrate, falling into the drop zone one point from safety. Oh, Norwich, suddenly woeful. 19 goals leaked in their last five games with West Ham, Leicester and Chelsea their next three games. I see a darkness. But God love Gabby Bonglahor, looking beautifully tubby, scoring his first goal for mm-hmm. over a year, then Instagramming the message, that was for all the haters. Hope mm-hmm. I've ruined your Saturday. I've got to ask you, how many haters do you believe go to bed feeling better about their lives because Gabby Bonglahor hasn't scored over the weekend? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a very specific fetish. A very specific fetish. OK, Swansea won, Crystal Palace won. Uh, Emmanuel Adebayor, Rog, makes an immediate impact in his Palace debut, fouling Giffy Sigurdsson in the 13th minute and conceding a free kick that the Icelander proceeded to curl past Wayne Hennessy. But Palace drew level in the 55th minute through Scott Dan to earn their first point of 2016. Oh, Rog, this is giving you the thickening. Stoke nil, Everton three. First half goals from your mate, Romelu Lukaku, Seamus Coleman and Aaron Lennon give... (sighs) Dancing Roberto Martinez's men a comprehensive victory at the Britannia and move them to eighth in the table. Your comments, please, Roger. What a week. I mean, rumours of a $300 million takeover by former San Diego Padres owner John Moores abound. Oh, not an American. And perhaps even more significantly, Roberto Martinez caught on cell phone camera dancing at a Jason Derulo concert, throwing shapes in a way that can only be described as Hillary Clinton campaigning in New Hampshire style. I mean, thank, oh. thank God Everton had just beaten Newcastle so we could all laugh, or the optics would have been a complete and utter disaster. Yeah. How would you describe the moves, David? Uh, strained, uh, self-conscious, um, but, I mean, sort of large circles uh, and then smaller circles with gyration and to, some core involvement. To summate. You could smell the aftershave while you were watching it. It was adorably sexy. That's what you wanted to say. Yeah, exactly. In this game, Everton charge into a suddenly flailing Stoke and won in ways, well, we should have done all season, to be honest. Dominantly scoring in ways we haven't this season from penalties, from a corner, not conceding. As the fans all screamed, he'll dance when he wants. Roberto Martinez, he'll dance when he wants. This was pragmatic Everton. No Tim Howard, no John Stones. Many Everton fans adoring what they perceive to be a strengthening of the back four. There's a pro-Joel, anti-Tim Howard charm which has been developed by the fans, which saddens me. I'd, I'd just say Tim Howard deserves respect. He has been a great servant, a great servant, 
of Everton Football Club. As has Aaron Lennon already. What a stormer. Yeah. Ian Tom Cleverley beginning to etch their names in Everton's Hall of Discarded Gems. Clubs always retrofitted other clubs' cast-offs. The two have begun to show they may be the latest to walk in the footsteps of Mikel, Arteta and Gareth Barry as thrift shop heroes. And we're into eighth, Dave. Almost the kind of time for me to dust off the, the Nigel phrasing that long-time listeners will remember from the good old days. Nigel, we miss Nigel, Rog. Oh, we, we certainly miss I, Nigel. I'll tell you, we miss Nigel, but this being Everton, even 3-0 up, Dave, I've got to tell you, I was still crapping myself as the clock ticked down. Isn't it amazing? Two weeks ago, we were talking about them being dragged into a relegation fight, and now they're in eight. Yeah, I don't know what's possible now. I won't say, but a new psychology study that a lot of you have sent me from Psychological Science, they found out that forms of positive thinking have limited value in the fight against depression. They could even be a hindrance. So I'm not going there. But if you've got a minute, listen to our Romelu Lukaku pod special. It's up on SoundCloud now. He jumped on with us yesterday. You will fall in love with one of the most articulate footballers I've ever interviewed. Okay, Rog, in MLS, we're now less than a month from the 2016 MLS season, which kicks off March 6th. And there's a lot of news about new players here in Los Angeles. How are they Uh, on the streets of LA, Dave? Are they all chanting, Ashley Cole, he has risen. No, everywhere I look, Rog, there are, there are countdown clocks to the beginning <laughs> of MLS season uh, going on all the way up and down Melrose, up La Siena, go all the way along Sunset. Oh, he may be the worst Ashley since Madison, but 35-year-old Cole joins 31-year-old Nigel de Jong, 32-year-old Belgian Heli Van Damme at the LA Galaxy. Yep, the Galaxy it's again. It's a youth movement. They're, they're going geriatric, Davo. <laughs> <laughs> can't say, if they can land Ryan Giggs, Rio Ferdinand and Dwight York with some tamburlite, yeah. they should just call yeah. off the season and award Bruce Arena the trophy right now. Season kicks off March 6th. I think Ray Wilkins might be available <laughs> as well. Uh, OK, Rod, the Von Trapps began 2016 with two victories thanks to a pair of late winners. Friday, they beat Canada 1-0 with none other than Josie Altador heading home across from GFOP Ethan Finley in the 89th minute. That victory came less than a week after Jurgen Klinsmann and co. saw off Iceland 3-2. The winner coming from DC United, Steve Birnbaum, Rog, in the 19th minute. Hashtag Jewish messy. (laughs) Oh, these two games, they made me miss the Women's World Cup very badly indeed. Two late winners, 90th minute against a B and C Iceland team. Then, uh, albeit an extremely experimental US side, faced Canada late, late, late Friday night. A Canadian team who are arguably one of the top two teams on the 49th parallel. But they needed a Josie header to wake America up and grab the win in a turd emoticon of a game. So Josie, whatever you think about him, he has netted 33 goals in 91 games for the US and he's still only 26. The pluses for me were watching Jordan Morris and Jerome Kiesvetter, the 23-year-old Berlin-born Stuttgart striker, just the kind of players Jürgen loves, fast, direct, willing to take risks, too young to know to play with fear. Yet the overall impact of both games, two victories, but little in the way of coherent play on display after a couple of weeks in camp together. US, 300 million people in this country, but we can't produce a handful of same people to run for president, nor a world-class footballer. Talking about great guys though, Dave, which I wasn't, but Mazeltoff to Stuart Holden, birth of his first kid, precipitating his retirement, injury-filled career, Deprive him of fulfilling his true potential. He is such a wonderful guy. Never forget how good he was in the 2011 season for Bolton in the Premier League. Johnny Evans did him in. He was then a true American blue chip prospect and we wish him well with his growing family. Uh, The World Cup champion US Women's National Team, Rod, kicks off Olympic qualifying tonight in Frisco, Texas against (laughs) Costa Rica. It's the first of three preliminary round games over the next six days with the semi-final and final presumptively to follow. But the team is also dealing with some off-the-field issues oh. at the moment, Rog. Yeah, I mean, the sausage is being made in public, David. US soccer and its women's players are airing their dirty laundry in court. Argument, I think we both pray, is concluded quickly for fear it will make everybody look bloody awful. The argument revolves around a legalistic contractual point about whether a memorandum of understanding drawn up after the last collective bargaining agreement ran out in 2012 is in effect. The association believes that it can be cancelled at any time. US soccer believes it's enforceable. But at the core of it, the women just feel they've got real leverage right now after the win with the Olympics six months away. Qualifiers starting tonight. 
And the real argument is that they're tired of being treated as second-class citizens, the fields they play on, the economy flights they take, the salaries they receive. They want to renegotiate and shed a sense of being treated worse than the gents. OK, every game from the Olympic qualifying tournament will be streamed on NBC Live Extra. And four of the games, including the USA's group game Saturday against Mexico and Monday against Puerto Rico, will be shown on television. Check NBCSports.com for complete television <sighs> listings. OK, on to the Ravens, Roger. Our first Raven is from Terry Kingston in New Mexico. With Pep Guardiola confirmed as Manchester City manager next season, should we give City the title now, as the English <laughs> media seem to be suggesting, asking as a concerned, fearful, slightly bored United fan? Just what the Premier League needed, Dave. A world-class ball, massive, massive symbolic coup for Manchester City, cementing their pretensions to be a world great in the Barca, Bayern, PSG, Ether. What, what do you make of it all? I mean, obviously, Pep is the manager who everybody uh, wanted, Rog. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for me is why exactly does Pep want to go to the Premier League? Why exactly does he want to go to Manchester? Why exactly does he want to go and face uh, the English media? But certainly City got their man and they're very excited about it. Yeah, I mean, the English press were initially starstruck at the thought. I mean, the immediate reactions... Uh, we're along the lines of best structure in the Premier League, most money, and now probably the best manager in the world. This could get a bit grim, one of them wrote. Yet you look at City, and despite the money they flung at the squad, they still seem subpar and lacking. I mean, who is going to be his new Zavi or his Philip Lahm? Who will be his leader once Yaya Toure is dumped off on some big Chinese outfit or pay him in those huge polystyrene checks lottery winners receive? I mean, brace yourself for a spending spree. Pep will remake the squad so it's fit for purpose. A shocking reality because of the money that's been lavished on it. The Bonis, the Jesus Navases, Fernando will most probably be tossed aside and the squad will be remade from a physical athletic wonder to one that suits his craving for tactical intelligence. Cue rumours of Neymar, cue rumours of Busquets from Barcelona. I think to answer your question, David, for Pep, coming to England means cementing his legacy. It's one thing to dominate with Messi and Xavi at Barca, or in Bayern Munich, where they're dominant, so dominant in the Bundesliga, a team who, in the acidic words of Jose Mourinho, could win the league with their kit man as manager. But coming to England, it's so difficult, as Jurgen Klopp has found. Winning in the hyper-competitive world of English football is just a completely different beast. And it is going to be interesting to see how Pep adjusts to the brutal schedule as much as how Manchester City adapt to Pep. I mean, Tony Poulis versus Pep Guardiola round one is going to be must-see television. Look what happened to Louis van Gaal. He thought he was the king. His reputation has been shredded. And though Pep's undoubtedly a smarter, tactical thinker and far more capable in terms of cutting-edge operations, it's going to be fascinating. But Pep to City, David, as amazing as this season's been with its twists and turns, I can't wait for next season already. Particularly as a Chelsea fan, I can't wait for next season. The winner of the coveted Guinness Men in Blazers poet, philosopher, sucker scribe, Raven of the Week is Katie F. in Brooklyn. After six years of dating, I finally got my boyfriend, Roger, to fall oh, in love. No. A different Roger. To fall in love with football. And most importantly, Arsenal. It's so wonderful to watch matches with someone who's so invested instead of muttering about free kick calls to my cat alone at 7am. I think my cat may be a Palace fan, honestly. But recently, things have gone downhill. I may have shed a few rage tears after the Gunners' infuriating loss to Chelsea, and my boyfriend had the gall to mock me. While deep down I know that football is the most important, least important thing, I turned crazy and accused him of not being a true fan, put a curse on his beloved Patriots, and even rebuked his later efforts to cheer me up by crushing him as Chelsea in FIFA 16. In hindsight, I realise I may have overreached, but my question is this. Can you ever feel too much as a football fan? Oh, this is a... This is a question designed for Rog. God knows I've suffered as an Arsenal fan, but I just love those inconsistent ding-dongs so much. Can a six-year human relationship override a 10-year football one? Can a flipping Patriots fan understand what it's like to bottle a title race year after year? And most importantly, what is football about, if not a primal, uncontrollable, possibly over-dramatic love? P.S. Do I have to say I'm sorry? I don't really know what my uh, advice is. On this is Rog. I don't really speak Arsenal fan. I mean, in terms of can you love a team too much? It's kind of what the whole podcast has been about for the past six years. It's kind of what life is about. Yeah. Uh, are we creatures of free will? Are we trapped by fate? 
as an Arsenal fan, you know all too well you're trapped by fate, so just look for the positives. <laughs> Rage tears, they're my, and definitely in my top three kind of tears. My biggest piece of advice I can pass on is the obvious. Beware of boys called Roger, Clemens, yeah. Goodell, Bennett. We are an awful, accursed people. East, Roger East. Okay, Rog, uh, on to our mini Defy Labels contest. Thanks to all the GFOPs who've entered uh, the hashtag MIB Defy Labels contest to win a trip to the panic room. Something of a bogey prize, courtesy of Mini USA. We've been asking you to send us label-defying Premier League moments. These are moments in which Premier League characters or teams shed the labels others place upon them. Last weekend's winner was Bob Connor. He pointed out that despite conceding 12 goals in the last 19 shots on target, Liverpool's Simon Mignolet has been rewarded with a five-year contract. Bob wins a mini-mini model car like the ones we hold up on the Men in Blazer show. He's also eligible for the grand prize, a trip to the panic room. We'll be asking for entries again during this weekend's game. Send them via email or social media using the hashtag MIBDefyLabels. And check out Mini USA's Defy Labels campaign on their website, www.miniusa.com forward slash DefyLabels. Oh, it's got Harvey Cattell in it. Yeah, it does. Speaking of Mini, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. Crystal Palace versus Watford, 10 a.m. Saturday and Sunday. It's two top four battles. I can hardly deal with this, Rog. League leaders Leicester travel to third place Arsenal at 7 a.m. Eastern and second place Spurs travel to Manchester City at 11.15 a.m. All of those games are on the NBC family of networks. There are many ways to connect to us. One is our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers get a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating this podcast. What are you putting in there this week, Rog? A book. Oh. The, the best book I've read this year, Youngblood by Matt Gallagher. I mean, a novel that drops the reader into the human experience that was the Iraq war in a dark yet humorous narrative told in a voice that is so well-crafted, it makes you feel that time not spent reading this book is just wasted time. Like, like many of you, I revere Tim O'Brien's Vietnam classic, The Things They Carried, and adored Phil Clay's redeployment. If you savoured either of these two volumes or crave the idea of reading a book that advances the way you understand human motivation, just go and buy Young Blood right now. Wow, I actually had a dream that you already put this in the Emporium, Roger. That's amazing. Um, I'm not putting anything in the Amazon Emporium this week, but I am going to answer a few people have asked me where I get those little coloured tie clips, tie bars that I sometimes wear on Men in Blazers. I was wearing a blue one when we interviewed Will Ferrell. Uh, they're from thetiebar.com. They're pretty inexpensive, uh, and I like them a lot. You can now watch entire episodes of our crap TV show on NBC Sports Live Extra, Apple TV and Roku. It's also up on our website, meninblazers.com. And this week on the Men in Blazers show, it's our Oscar special. We have got Oscar-nominated director Laszlo Neems of my favourite movie of the past year, Son of Saul, coming into the panic room. I can't wait. 10.30, Monday night, right after the US women dominate on NBCSN. To sign up for our newsletter, The Raven, which we produced with our partner Guinness. We've got a Spotify account, men underscore in underscore blazers, meninblazers.wikispaces.com. That is just fantastic, Rog. It's a wonder of the modern world. Follow us on Twitter, at Rog Bennett, at Embassy Davies, and at Men in Blazers. On Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, and on Facebook. We've got a subreddit, meninblazers.reddit.com, maintained by GFOPs Akshay, Calvin, and Alex. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunkt. War pig. Who wants to sex Matombo? Explosure. Courage. LTD. Is that your analysis? To tweed. Abrigado. Rock on, mate. Kung fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Roger. I'm actually going to see Ryan Seacrest today in L.A. I want an LTD story by the time okay. you get home. Done. Okay, bye. <laughs>